Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Fearless Questions, where we follow our questions to freedom. I'm your host, Jeff Blackburn, and joining us today on the podcast, we have author, speaker, moment maker, and my favorite is hope dealer, Carlos Whitaker. Carlos, how are you doing? Dude, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm out here in Nashville, just slinging hope, just dealing hope. <laughs> I just like on the it. street corners, under the streetlights, <laughs> slinging hope. What do you got, nickel bag That's of right. hope? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, hey, you're also a former recording artist, uh, and my one of my favorites too is that you're a People's Choice Award winner. For people yes. who don't know you, just so they know a little bit about your background and how you sort of like on one of the scenes at least, how'd that happen? Yeah, you know it's a. Uh, um, it's really funny. I mean, I, I was a, I was a, a music guy forever at a kind of local church doing music and, um, but I was also on the, on the side, I had this blog that not a vlog, a blog. So I know people don't know what those are anymore, but it's where you would actually write every day. Well, blogs have kind of turned into Instagram. Now we we're blogging on Instagram, but, yeah. um, Anyway, so I, I, and then I had a YouTube channel and whatever. And then, um, I was, I'd upload videos of my kids all the time. This was when YouTube was really young. Um, but, um, one day my kids were in the backseat of the car singing the Beyonce song, all the single ladies. And, um, I thought it was funny. And so I started recording him and I told my son halfway through the song that he wasn't a single lady and he had a fit and he started crying and it was really funny. So I put it on YouTube and man, the thing went viral, 7.5 million views, and um, and we won a People's Choice Award. We were on all the all the shows. We were on. It was crazy, and so that really kind of put me out in in front of a bunch of people, um, uh, and and built a kind of accidentally built a platform for me okay. um, that uh, that I decided to stand up on and see what happens. And then from there, <laughs> I I um, you know signed a record deal, and then I've I've um, and then the, the kind of the viral video thing kind of slowly but surely faded, um, and and then I had to actually stand on on a platform built with content that I'm building instead <laughs> of a viral video, hey. and uh, and yeah. luckily it's worked out. So um, so yeah. yeah, now you know I, I travel and I I speak and I write books and um, I'm 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 in the glory years, man. It's a good time. <laughs> the glory years, I like it. Yeah, and I've I mean I've crossed paths with you sort of unexpected. I didn't even realize through the years you were. At uh, Buckhead Church, probably I'd visited down there in Atlanta and at a writers' okay. conference in Nashville. I uh, saw you just briefly, even at, when you're out publicly speaking at a church up here in Indianapolis. Um, I, best I can tell, you try to live in every warm state that hosts an NHL hockey team. That's basically that's that kind of- <laughs> it. That 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 is it. It is it. It doesn't you know it doesn't get too cold here in Nashville, but uh, it um. It does get today's a little today. I woke up and it was like thirty, so I was like, I don't know, what, I don't know what to do. My my Mexican roots don't know don't know what to do with this cold weather. Uh, and you are just for people, it's interesting actually. What's your heritage like? Because it's not yeah, just yeah, Mexican. My, my, my mom's from Mexico, and my dad is from Panama. Okay, but he's a he's a black Panamanian, so he he was only you know two generations in Panama, and then I, I had him do because he's he's Panamanian, but he's a black Panamanian, so he's always said I'm Panamanian. And I just kind of always, you know, that that's where he was born and that's kind of his culture. But I'm like, but you're black. Like, <laughs> where, where, where are you before that? You know, and so yeah. like, like we had him take, we had him, my dad do one of those uh, little DNA tests, yeah. uh, or like uh, heritage, whatever, family lines, or whatever. And I was like, I'm, I'm like straight up like, 
like um nigerian is like where it and i'm like yes i didn't really? know like I wish I, I wish I knew that when i was like in high school or college but now i'm like i'm claiming more of those roots than i ever have before <laughs> yeah that's cool and i i know you didn't touch on this latest book but it does sound like your uh your heritage had an interesting role to play in your in your younger years um you know you did we i don't want to wait too long before we jump in you've got a new book out you've written others you've written moment maker which is a really fun book um that people can get a hold of but your newest book, Kill the Spider, um, you know, you're talking about cobwebs and spiders and maybe just at the outset as we as we try and jump into this, just tell our listeners sort of what you mean by by the cobwebs and spiders and, and even where that imagery came from for you as we as we jump in here. Yeah, you know, so I, I had spent uh, many years of my life trying to correct behaviors, trying to stop doing bad things, trying to um, stop sinning so bad where it was causing drama in my life. And so and Carl, um, if I could just, just to clarify for, for people, when you talk about sinning and doing bad stuff, so you're coming out of a faith background, um, like yep. a church, is that, was that sort of, um, was that at the root of what your behavior was or it was, were you trying to do it for the religious side of it or for the yeah. actual, you know, consequences no. of those kind of things side? Yeah, no, I mean, d- definitely consequences. I mean, I mean, I, 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 you know, dabbled in behaviors that were having consequences in my family and in my personal okay. life. And, okay. um, and so, you know, um, so, but, but again, a lot of that was wrapped up in, and, you know, when people read the book, you know, they'll realize a lot of it was wrapped up in religion and, and, um, and some things that the church had, you know, wounded me in certain ways, but no, I was definitely in a season, uh, of life where, you know, kind of some massive traumatic things had happened in my life. And, um, and, and I'd been trying to, f- fix those things. You know, I've been trying to roll up my sleeves and do the work and re- slowly but surely realizing that wasn't, it wasn't working. Like I, I could fix it for a minute, but then not. And so, um, so I kind of found myself two years post trauma in my life, like going to counseling, kind of getting a little bit better at a time. And my therapist told me that he wanted me to go to this place called onsite workshops. And it was a seven days of experiential therapy outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And, um, and so it sounded horrible to me, but but everyone felt like it was a good idea, and I honestly did in my gut too. So I was on my way, and this is kind of where the imagery of of the book "Kill the Spider" came from. Um, on on the way to on site, I called my father to tell him that I was going to be kind of going dark for seven days, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> and so. He said, well, where are you going? I told him I'm going to this. I didn't call it therapy. I think I called it a retreat or something like that to not freak him out. But um, uh, I said, you know, dad, I'm going because I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to stop do, you know, doing these things. I've, I've got to get I've got to figure it out. And he goes, well, he goes, let me tell you a story why you're going. And so my dad tells me the story of how he was preaching a revival in Panama when he was in his 20s. And uh, this woman had come forward the first night of the revival and had asked for prayer. And specifically, she said, can you please pray that the Lord cleans the cobwebs from my life? And so um, my dad said that was very poetic. So he thought, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And I'll, I'll pray that. And so he prayed that. And um, then um, the next night, she comes forward again and said, can you pray even harder that the Lord cleans the cobwebs from my life? And my dad was like, um, well, I prayed that yesterday. And she <laughs> said, well, can you pray it again? And so he he said, well, okay, so we prayed again. Lord, clean the cobwebs from Mr. Amidas' life. And then he said, sure enough, the third night of the revival, she comes forward. And he was certain she was going to say, he did it. You know, he cleaned the yeah. he cleaned the cobwebs. And he said that she asked one more time, begging him to, to pray that the Lord cleans the cobwebs from her life. And 
um, my dad said he stopped her and said, actually, no, that's not what we're going to pray. Tonight we pray he kills the spider. And he said, yeah, he said, Carlos, I've watched you clean the cobwebs of sin your whole life. He goes, that's not, that's, you, you, you can't do that anymore. That's what you're, you're a professional at doing that. You have to go there and, and you have to find the producer of these cobwebs uh, and you have to kill the spider. And man, I've never heard my life more perfectly summarized hmm. than in that story. And so, you know, I, I still at that moment, but you know, I was just walking into seven days of therapy. I didn't have like a, a def, a concrete definition of a spider or a concrete definition of a cobweb, but, mm-hmm. but it made sense enough for me to, to start the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, so, and you so were in a good, you were yeah. in a good spot. You actually coming out of trauma, but you were actually coming into a pretty yeah. decent spot in your life even before going into yeah. this therapy, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so like it, th- things were, things were on the mend, you know, things are good. And, um, but, but here's the thing, little did I know that, that, um, just cause things are looking up doesn't mean that, um, doesn't mean they're going to stay there and doesn't mean that, that, um, there's not a, um, th- there's not a force at work that is trying to destroy you, you know? And, yeah. and although, although I don't, you know, and at the time really wasn't, um, uh, really into, you know, I, I think at the time I was way more into religion than I was into the truth of Jesus. And, um, and now I would say once I've killed my spider, it's flipped where, you know, Sundays and three songs and a sermon really isn't, um, the thing that I'm basing my, my, my life on anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not, it's not that it's not religion anymore. It, it is, it is more the person of Jesus. And, um, and that's what, what, what has really helped me, um, really helped me kill the spider. And so I, I'll, I'll define it for your listeners as, and this is, this is really it. A okay. cobweb is, excuse me, a spider is an agreement that you've made with the lie. Okay. So, so that's what we have to get to, right? That agreement we've made with the lie is, is, is what has us bound and what is spinning, spinning these behaviors that we're, that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, a cobweb is a medicating behavior that brings false comfort to that lie. So let me say that again. A spider is an agreement you've made with a lie. And a cobweb is a medicating behavior that brings false comfort to that lie. So what we do is most of the time we deal with cobwebs. We deal with the medicating behavior. And that's why we can't ever get better is because those those behaviors are bound to a lie that we believe. And unless we break that lie and replace it with truth, we're going to be stuck in the same behavior pattern over and over and over again. So that's what I dive into in the book. And that's what I really want to help people get to. Yeah, no, that that's helpful. Um one of the things that's cool about this book that you've written is that you kind of take us through these different scenes of your life. Um, there's too many to cover today, but where you sort of uncover the very practical um, scene where these lies sort of like where you, like you said with the spider, where you make agreement with this lie or something. Um, and so maybe through a conversation, I might ask you about a couple of them, but yeah. you know, early on you talked about if you're comfortable sharing that from a, at an early age, even, I think it was a magician's <clears throat> show or something. Yeah. Cause yeah. you're talking about church and I think you've even been a worship leader as well. Yep. Um, yep. I wonder if you could just tell us, cause that might make sense to some people, especially folks that have ever been around, um, have grown up in a church. Perhaps this one might make particular sense, but yeah. just kind of one of those early lies that, that you got on board. Yeah. With. You know, you, you know, um, I, um, it's, it's funny. Like uh, I, I grew up, you know, growing up in the church in the nineties, um, with there, there's just a lot of late eighties and nineties, just, just a, a lot of, uh, it was real showy, you know, churches. And so, um, you know, like, let's see what we can't do to attract 
people to our church so that so that we can present the gospel. And you know, I, I say that's 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 the church in the nineties, but I mean, as I say, as if it's we, not we, still we, happening. We, 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 we look at church in two thousand seventeen, and it may not be magicians, but it's it's smoke and haze and, and really killer bridges. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but um, um, I, I'd say that you know I, I was there, and there was a magician who was performing, and. Um, I remember I was really young and I remember at the end of his magic show, he, he talked a bunch of boring nonsense. I can't remember what he said, but then he invited people to come forward. And I remember, um, looking at my mom, like, Hey, like I want to go down there. And the reason I wanted to go down there was because I wanted to learn some magic tricks. Um, (laughs) and, um, my mom looked at me really excited when, um, when I I said, I want to go down and, um, she she said okay go on down and i went down and i was looking for the magic man and some sunday school leader grabbed me and she pulled me in a room and they people started crying and hugging me and then they made me repeat a prayer and the next thing you know everyone's telling me i'm a christian and i find myself in the pastor's office and i'm like oh my gosh i just pulled the greatest stunt on the i just tricked an entire generation of people into believing that i became a christian and and, on a- and on so, accident, no less, right? On accident. On yeah. accident. I didn't even – It's not. I wasn't even trying to trick them. Yeah. I just wanted to learn a magic trick. Well, next thing you know, everyone's calling me a Christian, and I, I feel like I'm stuck in the greatest caper of my life and the biggest <laughs> um, um, mistake of my life. And so I, I had to play the part, and suddenly I was pretending to be something I wasn't yeah. for such a long time. And, man, I, I, I bet there's a lot of your listeners that can relate to that, and not only – to mistakes that you make as a child where you're pretending, but really um, pretending um, the, the pretending can, can lead into adulthood and, and really can, can, can wrap us up in some lies. Yeah. Yeah. It's habits that we get into, you know, that it just seems like normal. I know later in the book, you, you said something and I think you were talking about other cobwebs or other circumstances and medicating behaviors, but you had said that sometimes you have to completely stop helping others in order to help yourself. Um, yeah. I wonder, um, and I might get, maybe let me get to that more in a second, but because one of the things as we see, so you, you were kind of agreeing with this thing about like, Hey, I don't know if you use the word fraud or not, but you basically, as you got older, you looked back and saw, Hey, this is something that started early in my life where I got used to not putting a version of myself out in front of people that wasn't necessarily the truest thing, um, in your own heart. Um, <clears throat> And you talked about um, one of the first, I don't know if it was one of the very first, but one of the major, um, you started dealing with this issue of anxiety in your life. And you, you shared an experience um, as a worship leader um, when you faced that for the first time. And I wonder if maybe you'd be willing to, to share a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah I, I think the first time it, it came to a head um, is, um, you know, I, I'd always been an anxious kid. I'd always been a, a worrier. I'd always, you know, kind of kind of been that and it it had always kind of been pushed to the side or or people just kind of i think now clinically they would have diagnosed me with anxiety disorder or something mm-hmm. but i wasn't you know you know as a kid that wasn't the case and so um i um i was i slowly but surely pushed that aside until it manifested itself in in actual severe panic and i was leading worship in front of you know a couple thousand people it's like i'd done you know every sunday for years before and everything started spinning. My heart started pounding. I had no idea what was happening. I thought I was having a heart attack. I, I walk off stage and they call a doctor and he takes my, you know, all my vitals. And he's like, no, you're not having a heart attack. You're not dying. You're having, I think you're having a panic attack. And I remember going like, what's a panic attack? And <laughs> like, like, isn't that what crazy people have? Like, you know, what, what is, I, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I don't have panic. And so 
Man, I, I was gripped by anxiety for years after that. Um, and that so began a really long journey for me of dealing with my anxiety deal, and anxiety turning into, to, into depression um, and, and really coming to grips with some lies I started to believe about God then. Because, because back then, you know, this was, oh man, this was 2000, maybe 2001. Um, back then, the church wasn't really hit on mental health issues. And, right. you know, it was all, it was all about, um, you have to, uh, pray harder. And if you pray hard enough, then your anxiety will go away. And that's it. And man, I, I was praying as I'm not, there was blood on my knees. Like I was praying as hard as I could and the anxiety was still there. And I, I began to hear lies and agree to lies that I had been abandoned by God. I began to agree to lies that he was no longer, that he wasn't real. That And man, when you start making agreements like that, at that point, medicating behaviors, it, I mean, there is nothing you can do wrong. I mean, any you'll do anything to medicate that lie. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, that, that really led me to, to a real dark space. Hmm. Um, and I know that, um, you know, I guess uh, I'm trying, I'm, <laughs> I'd love to just have you like do the audio book right here for everybody. Oh, sure, yeah. So they, <laughs> they need to get this, but you ended up going, we kind of alluded when your dad had called you and you... Um, you know, it's kind of the second call you referenced with your dad, um, uh, because when he dropped, when you were going to this like adult, uh, what'd you call it? Experiential therapy. I, I, yeah. Exper- experiential therapy is what they call it to make it sound really pretty. <laughs> okay. But, uh, and it was a good experience for you. Clearly. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was the hardest, but greatest days of my life. It was awesome. Yeah. And uh, I want to, um, we're going to have to jump into two directions here, kind of back and forth real quick, not real quick, but because I want to talk on this thing about prayer, um, kind of, and then we'll come back to some of what you're talking about with getting the spider, because, um, it seems like throughout, because you're a person of faith, like throughout this journey, there was some of these lies that while it's rooted in everyday life, your, your faith and belief in God was closely associated with this. Even at the very first time you were faking it, you know, with like, you get your yeah. Bible with your yeah. name on it and wait, do I, what am yep. I now? Yeah. Um, well, this is me. Yeah. Okay, great. Whatever. Um, but you know, you talk a lot about your experience of prayer. You even talk about, you have a little funny story about your tattoo, even in the book, but yeah, tell me a little bit about the journey you've taken with it and kind of how it's changed for you over the years. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> I tell people in the, the reason why I really get into prayer in the book is because, um, I do believe that you can identify, locate and corner your spider in therapy. Um, I believe you can identify, locate and corner your spider with good counseling, um, but you're not going to be able to kill your spider without prayer and prayer just became, um, so vital to me. And it, it just always was prayer. Just always, uh, it just was not something I understood. Like I was like, I'd pray before bed. I'd pray for my meal. I'd pray for, you know, and they were just kind of these little mini speeches that I'd give to God mm-hmm. and, and any kind of prayer ministry at churches, you know, it was always old ladies that would pray. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, it just, it just wasn't for me, you know, and man, I tell you what, I go into it because the only way we can kill our spider is, is to hear from God. And I just had never been able to hear from God. People that heard from God were either, were either crazy or crazy to me. Like, like it just, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't something that was normal. And, but I was just, I was so challenged on my journey that, you know, um, I can't base my my view of prayer on these crazy people. Like I've got to, 
uh, um, I, I've got to really step into it myself. If I'm going to hear from God, all right, God, well then teach me how to hear from you. And so, um, and did that my, change? My, did that change when you became one of the crazy people after you're having an anxiety attack on platform? Right, right, right. That that really it actually didn't because even even after I had my anxiety attack and I was praying that God would get rid of my anxiety. Yeah, I was I was I was still giving a speech to God. Like I was still okay. uh, prayer was still one way. It was still me talking, and that is not biblically what prayer is supposed to be. Like prayer is a conversation. Like wh- where you can actually hear the other person talking to you. Like when I, if I were to just talk to my wife and never let her talk back to me, mm-hmm. there would be no, no reason for a relationship. And the more I realized that some of these people that I thought were crazy actually weren't crazy. Um, they, it, it, every, my prayer life began to change and it began to shift. And when, when I started to hear from God myself, um, when I started to ask God about where, where are there spaces in my life where spiders are being born? And he began to actually show me and tell me, mm. I mean, the, the acceleration in spider killing went freaking, you know, DeLorean on back to the future speed. <laughs> like it was 88.8 miles. Like I was like in, like I was like, boom, I've got it now. I've got it now. And so now like I, 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 um, I tell people that, you know, in, in prayer, especially when, when you're starting um, to, to, to hear from God, don't, don't start big. Like don't, um, don't start by asking the massive questions in life. Like if you, if you've never been able to have conversational intimacy with Jesus mm-hmm. and the first thing you ask him is, you know, God, am I supposed to quit my job tomorrow? And then you sit and wait and listen. Like, that's not, that's not what you're supposed to do. You can't start off, you know, massive like that. Like you have to start off small. So asking small questions and paying attention to how he already is existing around you. I, I, I like to tell the story of, um, um, uh, this isn't in the book, um, cause it's just happened a, c- a couple of months ago, but I was with a friend of mine here in Nashville named Marcus and he was, um, um, we were having coffee together and he said, Hey man, let's go to lunch. And I said, all right, cool. Well, um, where do you want to go to lunch? Or no, he asked me, where do you want to go to lunch? Okay. And I said, well, well, why don't you, um, why don't you ask Jesus where we should go to lunch? And he rolled his eyes at me like, bro, come on, man. Don't be stupid. Just like I would have to anyone that would have said that to me a few years ago. <laughs> um, and he goes, God doesn't care where we go to lunch. And I go, I I beg to differ. I think if he cares about the massive things in our life, why in the world would we not think he cares about the small things in our life? Like, like we go to God and pray about like cancer, right? Like Mm -hmm. even atheists become Christians for a moment when like the world falls apart, you start praying. And so if we're going to pray to God about those big things, why not little things? So he's like, okay. So he's like, and he says out, he's kind of, he doesn't close his eyes. He looks at me and he goes, Jesus, where do you want me and Carlos to go to lunch? And he kind of rolls his eyes at me and crosses his arms like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> and so I go, I said, all right, man, so where uh, where do you think we should go? And he goes, well, I don't know. Like, I'm not hearing God. And I was like, well, I, you don't know that. Like, where where do you feel like we should go now that you've prayed that? He's like, dude, this is so dumb. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I kind of feel in my gut we should go to that Thai restaurant over in Titan Stadium parking lot. Like, but that's not God. Like, I just... I like Thai food and I go, all right, well, let's go. So he goes and we go and I'll, I'll tell you, like, it wasn't like this glorious God moment of like hit the Holy spirit descending onto my Thai chicken curry soup, like a dove, like <laughs> that didn't happen. Right. We just had a good lunch and it was fine. And we didn't talk about his prayer at all. And we walked out to the parking lot and uh, we were about to get in our respective cars. I was getting in my minivan. He was getting in his cool hipster car. And, <laughs> 
this guy comes running out of the Thai restaurant. He was like this redneck, like, I don't know, guy in like his 50s or 60s. Right. And uh, he's yelling at my friend Marcus, Marcus, and he's like, hey, man. And so we both thought um, maybe he left his wallet or his phone, you know, in the booth. Sure. Um, and the guy's like, hey, man. And he walks right up to us out of breath. And he's like, man, this is so weird. You're going to think I'm crazy. He's like, um, but do you sometimes work out of a coffee shop on 12 South? named frothy monkey and marcus was like yeah like I'll, I'll sit in my i'll sit you know in there and work on my laptop yeah. he's like man he's like the other day you were in there and i saw you in there and i was doing my bible study and again now now just to let you know this guy i'm talking about is the exact crazy person i was talking about before okay, <laughs> okay. The, the, right. these are the people that, that i thought were crazy but here's the thing this is why i don't think they're crazy anymore because he goes i was I was in there and I was doing my Bible study and I looked up and I felt like the Lord said to pray for you, but I did it and I didn't come up and I didn't tell you that. And I didn't. And so you just walked out and left and I never thought twice about it. But then you walked into this Thai restaurant and the second you walked in here, I was like, Oh my gosh, holy shit, I can't believe you walked in here. And this is exactly what the guy said. He goes, holy shit. So I had to, I when you left, I had to chase you down because there is no way that I was going to be disobedient to God again. And Marcus's <laughs> eyes were as big as the freaking sky. And he looked at me and I left him in that parking lot with that strange man. And I, and I, and I drove away laughing. And Marcus <laughs> called me 15 minutes later and he was like, Carlos, I, I believe you. I totally get it now. God actually speaks to us and he cares about the small things. And that is just what I want to get people to get in a rhythm of paying attention to when God shows up around us. And some people will say, oh, it's a coincidence. But listen, my life is is filled with way too many of these experiences that happen almost every other day now in my life for me to call them experience or, or coincidences. So now I've become the crazy guy, but mm -hmm. I'm not crazy because I know it's it's true. And when people step into conversational intimacy with Jesus and begin to ask him specific questions, he's going to answer you and get you to the root of your spider a lot faster than you ever would without him. Mm. Well, first of all, um, you do a really good redneck, so congrats on that. Oh, thanks. That's natural. That's natural. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, and I was um, your comment about the it's the ordinary everyday moments um, that you you've shared a number of them, like your buddy Marcus. But then um, even in your own life, you shared stories uh, throughout your book. But um, even when God, I think you said something because you referenced this already, and I think I read it somewhere in your book where when you first are starting to um, have the treat prayer more like a conversation than a speech. Um, you know, one of the first things people would say would be like, well, he's not talking. I don't hear him. Right. Um, so what are some of the other, you, you share a good example there, but I feel like you gave a few like soft examples. Like there was actually quieter things that you began to pay attention to in your life that, that you began to see his answers. Is that, am I remembering that right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I can't remember specifically in the book, um, some of those, it's so funny. You write a book and then you never read it. Um, <laughs> but, 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 um, I mean, there definitely have, have been a, a lot. Again, it, the whole first step is to pay attention. It, it's, it's just to, to pay attention to the fact that he is, um, he is speaking to you, even when you're not speaking to him, right? So, like, okay. I, I, I'm not saying that you have to be asking God in order to hear from him. Like, you can hear from him even when you're not asking questions. I do tell a story in the book where, um, 
My wife and I were um, were on our way. This is right when I was just beginning to kind of learn to hear from God, okay. and we were on our way back from um, Ireland, and we we'd been on a long trip, and um, uh, we, we were jet lagged, and we were exhausted, and we were in the Detroit airport at a PF Chang's, and um, we were. I was trying to make her laugh because like we just were exhausted, so I was telling her this funny story that I thought was funny, and it was just about me leading worship. And there was a um, my percussionist uh, that was with me on that gig that day had forgotten his shaker, so we had to go to Guitar Center to get a shaker. But the only shaped shaker that Guitar Center had was a a, a shaker in the shape of a banana. So we <laughs> we thought it was funny, but whatever. And so so he's he's playing percussion and shaking a banana behind me. And um, and the, at the end of the service, this this old woman comes walking up to us and is like. Man, the music was great, but why was that guy shaking a banana the whole time? You know, and, and so like, like as you're laughing, I think it's funny. So I'm yeah. telling my wife the story, and she's not laughing at all. She doesn't think it's funny. So I'm like, whatever. What I tried to make her laugh. What? Let's just get home. Whatever. So we're at Chang's. They bring they bring about I don't know, five minutes after I tell the story, they bring us the check, and they always bring a fortune cookie. So I open up the yeah. fortune cookie, um, and I flipped. I literally stood up in PF Chang's. And started looking for cameras because on <laughs> on my fortune was the word banana. That's all it said. It said actually no, there were two words. It said uh, a banana. That's what it said on it. What <laughs> That's amazing. Of, what kind of fortune? What kind of fortune just says a banana? That's not even a fortune. <laughs> that is that is a practical joke that someone was playing on me. So like I'm freaking out. Like yeah. how did they type this thing up? Put it in a for in a cookie. Give it to me as I just told the story and. It, it it was so funny because I show Heather and we're both dying laughing and she goes, I feel like that's just God showing you that he's whimsical and he's paying attention and he's here. It's just us paying attention to when he's – I took that fortune. I put it in a frame and it's sitting next to my bed <laughs> because I, I want to remember that God is in everything. He's in every single detail. So yeah. you know, the more we pay attention, the more we're going to see him. That was fun. No, that was a good story. And she got a fortune that was funny too, didn't she? She got a one word yes. – well, yeah, no, no. Hers said "moment" on it, okay. and my my first book yeah. was called "Moment Maker." You know, and so it just was. It was just too much, man. Like I, I'm just living this life of too much now. Um, <laughs> of my my girls, my daughters, my teenage daughters call it extra. Dad, you're so extra. You know, and uh, and um, the, that that's just kind of the world that I'm living in. This in this extra world, but it's that's the world that we were that we were created to live in. You know, yeah. John ten says a thief comes to steal kill and destroy yeah. but jesus says i've come that they may have life but so many of us put a period after life and that's it but it says life in abundance and i feel like that's life with extra as my teens would say mm. and that's just the world that i'm living in now is just this world of extra where um where th that's the freedom that we finally get when we stop cleaning cobwebs and we kill our spiders mm. And uh, that reminds me, you start talking about extra, that reminds me if uh, the listeners start looking your stuff up online that I don't know if you have, you've, part of your story, you tell that extra gum commercial. I don't know if that's just yeah. messages you give yeah. or what, but that was, yeah. they should look that up if, if you have. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an extra gum commercial if they look it up where, where, where a father gives, um, uh, it'll make you cry if you watch it, but um, it's, it's a dad and it, it's showing um, his daughter growing up from when she was a little girl to a to teenager to um, moving out of the house. And every time he'd have a moment with her, uh, he would like fold up a little origami crane out of the extra gum wrapper yeah. and give it to the daughter. And he gave, you know, he'd give one to her. It, it's, you know, it's, it would seem like a, maybe know, every other month or so. Yeah. And 
And just, just to kind of have a moment for her when she broke up with her boyfriend and she was crying, he'd give her an extra gum crane and whatever. It's cute until the end when she's, he's moving her out to college and he drops a box in the driveway and it's filled with hundreds of cranes. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, she, yeah. she saved all the cranes. <laughs> it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Uh, well, um, you know, Carlos, one of the things, I mean, your book goes into a lot of, we, we, we've touched on cobwebs. There's these, medicating behaviors. It's like this, the surface stuff that's, you know, comes out of needing to medicate the lie that you've agreed with. And, um, there's more than we can probably cover in this kind of a conversation, but you talk on, you talk about a number of, you're so happy and like fun. And yet you've had to go through a lot of the cobwebs that you've walked through have been really serious and they've been, they have been hurtful for you and others around you. Um, one of the things I was kind of wondering about, people can read the book. I mean, there are issues of, you know, marriage and pornography, like you said, anxiety yep. and, and all those things that, that touch a lot of people's lives. Um, I had kind of two questions about that one. Um, because you guys do seem like such a strong connected family unit now. Um, and then you share a book like this that shares so much of your own, like kind of very personal parts of your journey. I wondered, yeah. um, what, what, has been the process for you deciding like how to show up as your whole self in the day to day relationships you meet with people, but how do you choose how to be authentic without oversharing or is it impossible to overshare or, you know, that yeah. just seems like a very unique dynamic you've, you're, you're walking. I'm just interested in, in what that's like for you. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's definitely not an answer because it's, it's moving and it's shifting and it's morphing every day. You know, um, I, I'd say, I'd say now, um, uh, I'm presently in a season where I I am um, I'm choosing to share um, I'm choosing to share some harder things without sharing the details of the harder things. Okay. Um, and so and so you know like I I, I did I, you know I share my marriage fell apart and I share uh, about the moment it happened and me vomiting over the toilet and dry heaving and and losing my my daughters and my my kid like I share some heavy heavy stuff but I don't share the details. Um, as to, you know, kind of, so like, I, I just think you have to be careful. I think you have to realize that, especially in the social media age, that what we share, well, I mean, we, we're, we're touching other people's lives and we're dealing with other people's lives. And my kids aren't my social media puppets. And, yeah. um, you know, and the hashtag for your, your cute little toddler, you know, that toddler is going to be 15 one day and, um, and going to have a life of their own. You have to be careful. We just have to be careful what we're printing out. Now, I'm so glad that my parents didn't have Instagram when, <laughs> when I was a kid, because I don't think I, I don't think I would have want to know all of their drama. You know, like I don't want to, yeah. you know, now I feel like our kids are going to be like, man, we just know way too much, you know? And so, um, again, like, I, I just think that, that we have to be careful. Um, but, but I do think that authenticity and vulnerability is going to be the thing that, that brings people to healing. If, if that is something that you want to help people with a lot faster than looking like you're the, the high priest and glossy and shiny. Yeah. And, um, and people are desperate for authenticity. I think that we live in a, in a Snapchat filter that makes you look 10 years younger society. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then when people see you in real life, it's always a disappointment. And I, you know, I'm always like, you know, I'd rather people see me in real life and think, Oh, 
this guy looks better than I thought. You know, this guy's life, <laughs> this guy's life is better than I thought. Um, than uh, than not because again, man, I, you know, social media, it's it's just a highlight reel. Yeah. You know, and um and and we're st- you know we're still working through. I mean, my my marriage is reconciled. It mm-hmm. is it's he- you know, it's healed. We are together. Um, that season of me losing my family is over. But there are still there are still traumatic moments that'll happen where something will trigger, and my wife suddenly will be like, I don't trust you. I don't trust you because what happened in 2010, you know, and that's some real life stuff. And that's some real life consequences when we're not, when we, when we're not killing spiders and we're just sweeping cobwebs under the rug, because, um, again, like I say in the book, like we don't care about the cobwebs that are in the corners of our house. Like the the top, you know, we care about the cobwebs that are under the lampshade that when you reach your hand underneath it and it hits your hand, you freak out (laughs) that those are, it's not a calm cleaning of the cobweb. No, it's like you go into full seizure mode. Yeah. And, um, um, and so just again, like, like if we just keep dealing with behaviors, five steps to a better marriage, three steps to stop looking at porn, five steps to quit drinking so much or how to stop being addicted to social media. If we just deal with those things, they'll keep coming back. Once you, once you deal with the lie and you break that agreement with the lie, then the behaviors go away. Yeah. You know, along the lines of that, like when you're talking about when people sometimes just deal with the surface stuff um, at different points, you describe scenes like where freedom, where the moments where you had a sense of freedom and a sense of safety, um, whether it had been at that, you know, you talked a lot about the, um, your experience at the retreat, the, the camp, whatever you want to call it. Um, but even other moments in your life, um, even with Heather or the counselor, whoever it might be that there seemed to be something even praying to God, like with these really honest, like, yelling out at God, like, where are you? Like, are you even there? Like almost like these where you become an atheist for a moment kind of deal. Um, how do you, how do you make space for that for people now? Do you, are you inviting people towards that, towards that kind of space? Or do you just think that's something that people come to in their own time or? No, I, I ask people to, to disturb and disrupt their relationship with God on a regular basis. Like, like the more comfortable we get, the more callous we get. And so it's, it's going to look different. It's not always going to look like three days of losing your faith and, and not believing in God and wondering. I mean, some days in the extreme moments, it will look like that. But then sometimes we just have to like shake ourselves out of what we're used to. Like, you know, I've had a lot of friends that, that stopped attending like normal church services on Sundays because they became so callous to way they, to the way the evangelical American church um, kind of focuses all their attention on 60 minutes on a Sunday that they're like, no. So they started these house churches and they started these things on the side that have disturbed and disrupted their faith at like four or five years ago. But now I go to the same people and I challenge them to, Hey, I've got an idea. Why don't you, instead of just doing, I don't go to church. And uh, now that's become your callous and that's become your rote and that's become the thing. So now what's going to happen? Why don't you go to a black gospel church one Sunday? Why don't you go to a, and just keep disturbing, disrupting, you know, um, what, what your longstanding rituals and rites of, um, of faith. And I do it all the time. I mean, I read people I don't agree with. I read, um, uh, you know, I, I'm always trying to disturb and disrupt my faith because when I'm doing that, I feel like the essentials of my faith become even stronger and more rooted. So that is something that I that I like to invite people into. That's cool. That's cool. Um, I this I, I had a question here that I I don't know if where it fits in our conversation, but I really it was such a cool thought. I didn't want to miss. People can get the book after they hear this and and deal with it. But you're um I don't know if you call him a therapist, a counselor, or something. Was talking about marriage. You guys were in, 
I don't know if it was just you in the middle of trauma or what, but he talked about the football play analysis, like or when people win or lose games. And just since people are only hearing part of this conversation, they hear, oh, you know, Carlos went through traumatic stuff or we're talking about cobwebs with these external behaviors. It's very easy for people to see external behaviors and just say, ooh, if, you know, it's just bad person. They did this. But yeah, I thought he had a really helpful um, analysis, analysis of that that might be helpful for people. Yeah, you know, it's um, it, for a, a lot of things um, we because I felt horrible, man. I, I did feel like the bad guy. Like, I'm like, I'm the one that ruined the marriage. I'm the one that this and that. And I'll never forget. He's like, no, Carlos, like, it's really like the last play of a football game. Like it, at the end of a football game, the team's losing by five points. The quarterback throws a perfect pass, lands in the receiver's hands, and the receiver drops the ball. Well, the next day in the newspapers, it's going to say, Julio Jones dropped the football and lost the game for the Atlanta Falcons at the last second. But the truth is, is the game wasn't lost in the la- on the last play of the game. The game wasn't lost when that he dropped the pass. The game was actually, there was three quarters of football, four quarters of football played before that when they missed the block. Um, in the third quarter, when the punter missed the extra point in the first quarter, when the coaches with it, there's, there's so much more that goes into your story than just that final, um, that final ugly decision that you made. Right. And Mm so, um, so uh, that, that's, you know, my, my therapist at the time, he used that football analogy, which just really made sense to me because I couldn't just look at the last play and try to fix that. I had to look at the entire game film look at my opponent and really look and see, okay, what could I have done well three years prior, five years prior, seven years prior in order to not get to this point. So we just really need to look at the big picture. Yeah. And like I said, I know that's a little bit of a one-off from the book, but I just thought it was a really helpful bridge when you were painting that picture of like these lies that we agree with. And then, you know, cobwebs, it was like, okay, a cobweb would have been like blaming this, you know, you see the one bad behavior or something. And it was like, no, there's, it seems like to get to the spider, you had to go back and say, okay, what are the things that got me here? Because those are the things that prevent it from happening again. Um, you know, something you said earlier, you said something about crying or something. And then I think in the book summary, you said, you know, now I officially cry a lot. And I just want, is that continuing to be true for you? And I was wondering if Uh, that is true. What do you think shifted in you that has made it that way? I I believe that there was a a point in pain uh, that, that, that I was masking pain in my life so much that I was protecting myself from pain by these behaviors, right? By these medicating behaviors that when those behaviors stopped, and when when the pain was was um, um, when, when I was protecting, well, I guess I was protecting myself from pain with these behaviors. When 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 the behaviors went away, and I was left completely vulnerable, mm-hmm. and and I replaced those medicating behaviors with truths, with God's truths. Um, it's it's just like I'm feeling more life than I ever have before, right? Like I'm just, there's just more. It's that whole John 10, 10 thing again, life and have it in abundance. There's just an abundance to me now. Like there's this, there's this extra to me now. There's this, you know, I, last night we went to go see um, that new movie Wonder, which is a remake of a book, which is one of my favorite books of all time. And I have not cried as, I mean, I was weeping in that movie. <laughs> I was, I was emoting in ways that I just, Again, my emotions are just getting stronger. They're getting thicker. Um, my my um, uh, my joys are getting higher. Like it's just mm. a it's a really cool thing, and I, I, I actually liken it to this. Like I, I like to explain this 
explain it this way to somebody that may not understand is like when I first moved to Nashville, Tennessee, my wife told me that I was wheezing um, about three weeks into to living here. She said, hey, every night when you go to sleep, like you're wheezing, you're not snoring. I can just hear you breathe. You're wheezing. Okay. And I said, okay. She said, you should go to an allergist. And I thought, um, okay, but I, I don't feel like I'm wheezing. I feel like I'm breathing fine. She said, no, 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 I can, you should, you should go. <laughs> so I went to an allergist and I said, hey man, like my wife tells me I'm wheezing. She thinks I may be allergic to some things around here. He said, well, let's do an allergy test. So we did an allergy test and he's like, yeah, you're really allergic to Nashville, basically. Like you're just <laughs> allergic, you're allergic yeah. to the city. He's like, she said, well, well, she said that I'm, um, I'm wheezing. He said, well, let me do a breathing test on you. And he did a breathing test on me. And he said, man, he goes, actually, you're only using 60% of your lung capacity. You're, you're, you're not using 40% of your lungs. Like you're really only breathing with half of the available breath you have in you. So what I want you to do is I want you to take a breath of this inhaler. And after you take a breath of the inhaler, I want you to take another breath and I want you to tell you, you to tell me how you feel. Yeah. So again, I still don't believe him. I'm like, I'm running every day. I'm exercising. I feel fine. Well, sure enough, we, um, we, um, I, I take the inhaler and I take a breath and I start to weep after, um, after this happens because, um, I finally have breath for the first time. And what I, I didn't even know that I wasn't breathing. I didn't even know that I was, wasn't breathing. And for so many of us, we don't even know that we're not living. We don't even know that we're not breathing until we, we, we get our spiritual inhaler. We kill our spiders and then we're breathing at a hundred percent lung capacity and boom. Yeah. It's crazy. That's awesome. In fact, that's another good reason for people to read the book because there are you actually tell some stories about things that like what God must be inviting us towards that were that are available to us that we don't even know are there that yet that um, are available. So another good reason to read the book. Hey, um, Carlos, uh, you've been so kind to give us so much of your time. Um, one of the things I like to ask people is, um, what are the questions that you wish more people were asking? You know, I I think I think I I really wish that more people were asking thoughtful questions about, um, well, first of all, I wish they were asking more questions. I, I period, you know, I, I I feel like we live in a society where people are just taking things for, for what they are on social media. We just, you know, Oh, we see a Buzzfeed article and it's true. You know, like it's just, (laughs) we're, we're, we're we're not asking questions anymore. So you're saying that's not true. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Asking, um, asking questions. Um, uh, you know, I, I I would say that some some simple questions for people to start asking themselves is 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 especially when it comes to cl- cl- killing spiders is what are what are some like what are some New Year's resolutions that keep coming back over and over every single year? Mm-hmm. Um, that I think that that's a great place for people to start to start with, especially when it comes to this kind of stuff. Like wh- when it comes to um, what our resolutions are, and if if you keep running into the same one, well, that's probably a space that there's a lie attached to, and that's why you can't you can't fix that. And so, you know, start asking some questions like that. But then also, why don't you start asking God some questions? You know, just go for it. The reason why most people don't ask God questions is they don't believe that he's or, or they're scared if he doesn't answer. That means he may not be real, mm-hmm. and it's a scary and vulnerable place to be. So. Just start asking simple questions, you know, start asking where you should go to lunch, you know, start asking, <laughs> uh, start asking those small questions and watch him blow your mind yeah. with the small answers to your small questions. Uh, cool. And look out for rednecks chasing you out of diners. And yeah. Such. And look, yep, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, Carlos, uh, I really appreciate your time. Um, you're, if people want to follow along with you, they can follow you at carloswhitaker.com. 
Um, I know you got Facebook and Instagram at uh, Loswit. Is that right? L O S W H I T. And uh, yeah, Kill the Spider. Do you prefer if they buy it through your website or if they buy it off Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or anything? Um, they, if they go to Amazon, that always helps me. So okay. the Amazon ranking is kind of where the world lives right now. So okay. go get it at Amazon. Okay. All right. Very good. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon, bud. Thanks, man. All right. Cheers.